Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see uh, your faces even behind masks. I know it continues to be a challenge, but hang in there. Uh, thank you for joining us with, with that on this patio as we gather in person. Thank you for those of us joining at home. It's good for me to be back. I'm glad I'm back this Sunday. I was gone last Sunday at the Greater Victory Temple in Seaside with our black brothers and sisters out there. They send their greetings. Uh, it was so fun to be there, even though it was an empty building with just their, their staff and other people there. But man, they still were amening, you know, everything else. It was such a joy. So they send their love. They appreciate 10 years of partnership with Carmel Presbyterian Church and the amazing things that we've done over the last decade. But there's so much more to do as we partner with them and Martha Henry and a food pantry that's ministering to hundreds of people, hungry people. So thank you for the way you've supported that. And so they are so excited to continue to partner with us. Uh, but I'm glad to be here uh, back after a Sunday away. And uh, as we look at today's scripture, I want you to notice how Jesus hears the voice of the Father, and the Father was already calling Jesus the Beloved before he did anything. And so just to remind you, Matthew 3, 17, that you just heard, hear it again. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this voice of God the Father, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so I asked you that very basic question. Well, how many sermons had Jesus preached at this point? None. How many people had he healed? None. How, how many followers did he have? Very few. But before he did anything, the father's voice says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was Jesus's identity. Before he healed a person or fed anyone or even took the cross, God the father was declaring Jesus's belovedness in God's eyes. This is my beloved he didn't need to earn God's love at all. He already had it. Jesus had unearnable, unlosable love as God's beloved. And the father wants to reveal to you this morning, I believe, his love for you, that you in Christ are the beloved. You're already loved. Now, we don't understand this because the world that we live in says that you have to earn your love, right? You have to prove your value. You believe, and I do too, that if we can just buy something new or finally achieve this accomplishment, then I will get the respect I need or people will love me or like me or accept me because we all want to feel loved and adored. That's not a bad thing. God has wired every human being to want to be loved. He made us that way. We're meant to be loved, but not because of what we do or what we have. We're meant to be loved simply because we belong to our creator, our sovereign God who was revealed in Jesus Christ. But we don't get it because we were meant to find our fulfillment and love in God, not in these other things, simply because of whose we are. Notice I didn't say just who you are. It's a lot of uh, ideas out there. Oh, you just, you just need to love yourself, which, which is true. But no, we can love ourselves because we have a God who proclaimed his love for us first. That's why we can love ourselves. That's why we can rest in his voice and his grace. Now, we especially need to be reassured that we're deeply loved by the Father. I think in these days, we have mass. We're isolated. There's so much uncertainty in being, whether you're stuck at home or if you're not stuck at home, then you're some kind of frontline worker, right? 
You're, you're helping harvest food. You're in a hospital. You're, you're teachers, right? If you're not stuck at home isolated, then you're on the front lines risking your health and safety every day. Either way, we need to know, oh, we're the beloved of God. We're safe in his arms. That, that no matter what happens to us in life and in death, we belong to a God who loves us with an everlasting love. We can easily succumb to depression and discouragement if we don't hear the voice of God, if we're not reassured by the word of God that you are the beloved because of Christ. We need this reassurance. I need it. I need this reassurance. I think you do too. Because this is what is certain in the midst of a sea of uncertainty that we have a holy God who deeply loves us in Christ. See, the Father doesn't want you to define yourself by anything else than what he thinks of you. And I want to take a look at, see what Jesus did as he faced temptation in the wilderness, because it connects the story as well. If, you, if you're looking at your Bible, Matthew 4, verse 1 follows this story. It's, you know, Jesus hears the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And then Matthew 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wow, what a contrast. You just have this incredible spiritual moment, right? The voice of heaven declaring that you're the beloved and then you have to go face the devil for 40 days and nights. Not just that, no food, no drink, isolated, except for the devil tempting you. So Jesus goes from being called the beloved to being tempted by the devil in the desert for 40 days and nights. So imagine, imagine having this amazing experience of God's presence and then 40 days and 40 nights immediately following of spiritual attack by the prince of this world, by Satan himself. What a contrast, right? Now, I have never had any kind of experience quite like that, something much smaller. But back in college, I was given my family's well-used Toyota Cressida station wagon. Any remember the Toyota Cressida line? Anyone old enough? Okay, thank you. Great cars, by the way. So I was so excited. So I was at UCLA, and we didn't have, a lot of people didn't have cars. It was too hard to park. But I was gifted by my family, the old station wagon. So excited. It was Thanksgiving. It was probably like, gosh, what year was this? Probably 1989, uh, maybe uh, Thanksgiving. I'm going to do the six-hour drive. I go, and I actually stop in my hometown of Santa Barbara, and I get the oil change. I want to be ready, right? Check the oil, oil change, ready for the six-hour drive, get on the road. Get halfway there. I remember I take a, a stop at one of those rest areas, um, and then I got on the road again. And I remember distinctly, as I got on the road again, about halfway there, have about you know, a couple hours left, I remember being filled in my heart with gratitude like towards God. I was just like, Lord, thank you for this car. Like It's a used car, but thank you for this car. And thank you that I have a family to drive to. Thank you that I get to see my friends and family at Thanksgiving. And I was just filled with gratitude. It was like a moment, right? Thank you, thank you, God, for this car. Five minutes later, dashboard lights up with that dreaded light check engine. What does that mean, people? Check engine. Then smoke starts emanating from the hood. And that, there's some little needle that's like on the blue part. And then it swung to the red part. I heard that's bad. So it went from blue to red, which means my engine completely burned out. My car dies. I have to go across the lanes on the five freeway to pull over to the, sol uh, the shoulder. I call my dad, tell him what's going on. I call AAA, I think. My car gets towed. It's 
Total. It's, I fried my car somehow. Okay. My cousin has to drive. I mean, I won't give you all the details. My cousin has to drive like three hours to come pick me up and drive me back so I can join the family. I battled with the insurance. It's a total loss. I won't cover anything on it. Found out it was the oil change people. They didn't do something called like an oil gasket, I guess. They didn't put it in all the way. So as I drove, all the oil just leaked out. But guess what? I signed something apparently that basically said they're not at fault. I mean, all this happened after my moment with Jesus. Right? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, you're walking with the Lord and then bam, just rug taken out from under you. Sounds like 2020. I mean, this is a year, right? Like just 2020, let's be done with. Jesus hears the voice of the father. This is my beloved. And immediately he's led to face the devil. 40 days, 40 nights, no food, no drink. Jesus understands our suffering. He does. He gets it. He understands it's hard for us to remember that we're the beloved. Mass on, isolated all the things that are going on. See, what's interesting is that during these 40 days and nights, if you read this whole story, Matthew 4, amazing story, Satan is directly attacking Jesus's identity as the beloved. I don't know if you ever caught that before. Because Satan, as you read about his temptations, he says, Jesus, we'll turn those stones into bread. Prove that you can do something powerful. Or, or have angels come and rescue you. Show, show us uh, that you're important, right? Do something impressive. And three times Jesus battles Satan with scripture, with God's truth. And I believe it's a direct attack of the devil on Jesus, who just heard he's a beloved. Satan's like, no, you're not. You need to prove that you haven't even preached a sermon yet, Jesus. You haven't healed anyone, Jesus. Show, show me that you're powerful enough. Show me that your life is worthy. And Jesus says, no. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think even maybe Jesus knew, I'm the beloved. I don't need to show you anything. And guess what, friends? You don't need to show the devil anything either. You don't need to prove your worth, your value. In Christ, you are the beloved. Jesus defined himself by his relationship to the Father as the beloved. He, he defined himself by what he heard from the Father. This is my beloved son. He hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't healed anyone. This is my beloved. You can know that you're the beloved too in Christ. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. See, Satan would like to trick you into thinking that you can find the love you're looking for through power, through possessions, through the praise of people. Satan would love to get you to doubt God's sovereign love for you. But if you're in Christ, you're secure. You are the beloved. I want to take a look in Ephesians 1 real quickly. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. If you want to follow me there, Ephesians 1. And because Paul the Apostle also talks about us being the beloved. And at verse 4, Paul says this. Even as he, God, the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's amazing. He calls Jesus the beloved, he uses that same name as he talks about you and me being 
the adopted and chosen sons, children of God. There's that name again, the beloved. See, this beloved status is the reality for all who have been called like Jesus, the beloved, that we are the beloved. Because that means that we are God's own children. See, Ephesians 1, 4 says that followers of Christ are the chosen children of God. And so like the Father sees Jesus, I think Paul is implying the Father sees you as the beloved too. You are chosen and adopted into God's family. For all who are in Christ, you are the beloved. See, at the heart of Paul's message to the Christians in Ephesus is that you and me, that they were specially chosen by God. Even though we don't have time to unpack this important theologically rich word of predestination, it's right there in Ephesians 1. Paul's intention was to encourage the believers who were struggling to remember the depth of God's love towards them. And so this is not mere religion. This is not mere moralism. This is not a transactional relationship. It's not empty sentimentalism. This is rich and deep truth. It's a relationship that Paul is talking about between a father and beloved sons and daughters of the king. You are the beloved. See, it's not an accident or it's not by pity that God has gifted grace. He chose you to be his beloved heir of the eternal riches of the king of kings. Now see this, God doesn't have to love you. He wants to love you with his perfect love as your perfect father. In fact, Paul calls Jesus the beloved in Ephesians. You just saw that. And he also calls God your Abba. He uses that word in Galatians, that God is your Papa. In Galatians 4, 6 through 7, it says this, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, Paul thinks it's critical that you know that God is your Abba, your Papa, your Father, and that, you're, and that you are his beloved child. Paul thinks it's critical for us, for us to claim our inheritance as sons and daughters, children of the King. It's a true story. As a seminary professor was vacationing with his wife in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. One morning, they're eating breakfast at this restaurant, hoping to enjoy kind of a quiet family meal. And while they're waiting for the food, they notice a distinguished-looking, white-haired gentleman moving from table to table, visiting with guests. And so the professor leans over to his wife and whispers, I hope he doesn't come over here. But sure enough, the man did come over to their table, and he says, where are you folks from? In a very friendly voice. The professor answered, Oklahoma. Great to have you here in Tennessee, the man said. What do you do for a living? The professor says, well, I teach at a seminary. And the man said, oh, so you teach preachers how to preach, do you? Well, I've got a really great story for you. And he pulls up a chair and sits next to this professor and his wife. And inside the professor's thinking, oh, no. Another preacher story I got to listen to. Some of you are thinking the same thing. Another <laughs> preacher story, right? But, and so the man started out, the stranger. He said, well, see that mountain over there? And he points to this window to this mountain. He says, not far from that base of that mountain, there was a, bo a boy born to an unwed mother. 
and he had a hard time growing up because every place he went, he was always asked the same question, boy, who's your father? And when he was at school, in the grocery store, the drug store, people would ask the same question, boy, who's your daddy? And so he would hide at recess and at lunchtime from the other students, the stranger said, and he would avoid going on to stores because that question hurt him so bad. And when he was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to his church and he would always go late to slip out early so the boy would not have to hear the question, who's your daddy? Who's your father? But one day the new preacher who didn't know anything about the boy's situation, he said the benediction so fast that the boy got caught and had to walk through the crowd at church. And to make it worse, the new pastor caught him. And just about the time that the boy's about to head out the door, he, he put his hand on the boy's shoulder and not knowing anything about his background, he says, well, well, son, tell me, who's your daddy? And the whole church saw this and they all got silent because they knew what the answer was to this embarrassing question. And in the midst of that silence, as he sensed an awkward moment, the, the preacher, maybe led by the Holy Spirit, said this to the little boy, who he could tell was a little embarrassed and scared. And the preacher says, wait a minute, boy. I recognize you. I see the family resemblance. You are a child of God. And with that, he patted the boy on his shoulder and said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. And then the, the man kept sharing the story. He says, well, with that, the boy smiled for the first time in a long time and walked out the door a changed person. He was never the same again. And so when everybody asked him in the future, who's your daddy? He just tell him, well, I'm a child of God. Who's your daddy? Well, I'm a child of God. Can you see the resemblance? I'm a child of God. Who's your daddy? I'm God's child. And then with that, the distinguished gentleman got it from the table. And he says, isn't that a great story? And the professor responded, you know, it really was a great story. Thank you. And as the man turned to leave, he said, you know, if that new preacher hadn't told me that I was one of God's children, I probably never would have amounted to anything. And he walked away. The semi-professor and his wife were stunned. They, they called the waitress over and said, who is that man who was just sitting at our table? She says, oh, well, that, everybody knows that man. That's Ben Hooper. That's a former governor of Tennessee. He was touched by the truth of God's word, that he's the beloved child of God. Friends, I don't want you to leave this place. Never underestimate the power of knowing and sharing that in Christ, you're a beloved child of God. Never underestimate its impact for yourself and for someone else. You are a beloved child of God, chosen, adopted by your Abba, Father, Papa in heaven. You are loved, you belong, you have purpose because of him. Friends, I spent years at church, a good Bible-believing church, going to Bible studies and being a good kid, it wasn't until I understood, oh, wait, I'm a beloved child of God. I don't have to do anything to earn God's love, even go to church. I don't have to do anything to, to make him put his attention on me. I get it. I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm gonna lift up your faith this morning that in Christ, you are the beloved child of your Abba, 
who looks upon you with love. And that will make a radical difference in your personal life. That will make a radical difference in someone else's life. Don't just play church like I did for years. Let it sink in. As you hear the word of God, you are the beloved of God. I'm going to close by mentioning one other text where Jesus heard this word that he was the beloved of God. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read a part of that section. In Matthew 17, we see that Jesus is coming to a point, special point in his ministry. And it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. Lord, is it good that we are here? If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah, Peter said. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The Father speaks from heaven only twice in the synoptic Gospels. At Jesus' baptism, Matthew 3, and at Jesus' transfiguration in Matthew 17. That means that God the Father states Jesus' identity as the beloved twice in his lifetime, at the beginning of his ministry, at the end of his ministry. And so at the beginning of Jesus' mission until the very end, Jesus knew that he was the beloved, that he was deeply loved, that this was his identity. And so I wonder if Jesus knew himself as the beloved from the beginning of his ministry to the very end, how much more do I need to know? I'm the beloved of God from the beginning of my life until the very end. If Jesus knew this is his identity, I wonder how much you need to know yourself as the beloved of God from the beginning of your life to the very end. We are the beloved of God. We have been chosen. We've been adopted I like how Pastor Tim Keller says it. He says, the gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but you're more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. Beloved children of God, because of Christ, you have a father in heaven. You can call Papa. That you can know with certainty, I'm adopted. I'm embraced. Before I do anything, I have unlosable unearnable love. It can't be taken away from me. You see, Christ came that first Christmas so that you would know that this Christmas that you are the beloved. That you'll never find the love you're looking for by trying to earn it or trying to prove it. you never fill that God-shaped void in your life by, by trying to show others that you're valuable. And so friends, we confess our sins and we turn to Christ, and we rest in the reality that we are deeply loved because of his amazing grace, not by anything that you've done or will do. And as you rest in that, as I'm the beloved of God, it could change your life and change someone else's. You see, 
Christ not only had to come, he wanted to come. He wants to come near to you, the beloved children of your Papa in heaven. Friends, my prayer is that something that was said from God's word today, something that we sang, some prayer we said, or the songs that we will sing will penetrate deep into your heart that you would know that you have a Papa in heaven who calls you his beloved. Not based on anything you've done, good or bad. Based on his goodness. On his glory. Pour it out to you. Would you let that sink in as we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we don't understand the depth of your love for us. And Lord, we don't understand the depth of our sin often. But Lord, would you help us to see that you sent your son on a rescue mission joyfully, sending him, and as he joyfully took the cross, the scriptures say, it was because of the gap between us, Lord, that Jesus joyfully and willingly laid down his life so that we could call you Abba and that we could know that we are beloved. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to earn our love, not to people in church or not to people in our schools or people in this world. If we hear your voice by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we know that we are the beloved. We worship you, Lord. We want to respond with gratitude, even as the evil wants to attack us and discourage us and keep us down. Help us to remember in the midst of all the uncertainty, the certainty of your love for us, that we are the beloved children of our Abba Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen.